greetings this morning, this part of the service. I thought as I looked at this beautiful day this morning, it's just, just about a perfect spring day. I thought this, this morning is probably not a perfect spring day for somebody. There's probably a tragedy somewhere. And my mind went to that little boy that was backed over by his father the other week. And I just heard this morning about a drowning, I guess, yesterday. So we live in a in a beautiful world, and yet it's a world of reality with much sorrow and care and tragedy in it. And um, I'm thinking of uh, how how life scenes are so changing. And as I get older, as I get older, I don't know how it is for you, but as I get older, I see more and more that what God, the eternal perspective matters more and more as you get older. I don't know what it's like for, well, I know what it's like for young people. I was young myself one day. But it, it grows on you as time goes on. You know, most of my life is over. I'd say at least half. And um, I have less, I have more to look back to in this life than I have to look forward to in many ways. And the uh, whole thing of eternal perspective, of spending eternity with God and and enjoying him forever and that kind of perspective it 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 becomes it it begins to take on a different perspective than it did when I was younger even though I love God when I was younger but uh it changes I think I have my notes down there somewhere oh no here they are So that was one of the thoughts I had this morning. Also, someone asked me this morning, knowing I was on for the main message, whether I was all wired and fired. I said, yeah, I think so. But I said, it would help to have a few amens, you know. So uh, maybe that'll be your part. So why don't we just pause for a word of prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you this morning. If we consider all that you are and all that you have done for us as a people in general and also each one of us personally. And you are a gracious God. And now, Lord, we ask you to meet with us here, to speak to us, to instruct us, to mold our hearts into your image, Lord. And to grant us, Lord, the grace that we need, Lord, to... Uh, to move forward with faith and with confidence and with passion for you and for others. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I have a message that I actually preached on six years ago. A good part of you weren't here. And uh, I, I redid it quite a bit. But I thought it would be exactly one I haven't heard. I don't know if I've heard it. I don't know if anybody else preached it or not. Maybe in the Bible school, something like that, it would be taught. But i like to teach this morning on pursuing God in personal devotions. Pursuing God in personal devotions. John chapter 17, verse 3. I'll just quote a verse here. It says, And this is life eternal. What is life eternal? That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, are these familiar verses. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth, if you're going to glory, 
glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So today we will want to just look at your personal devotional life. Your quiet time. I don't know what you call it at your house or you call it personally, but it's the time of the day that you spend alone with God. In reading the Bible, in prayer and meditation. It's a time of day that you set aside specifically in communion with God. And a few questions we could ask, is that important? Well, is it important to you? Do you have a daily time set aside? Is your time meaningful if you have it set aside? Do you sense an urgency to come to that place of time alone with God? Now, some might say, where do you read in the Bible that God commands a time alone with God each day? Does God actually command us to have personal devotions? How can I stand up here and try to, um, try to gain your conscience to, to, to see the need to have a time alone with God? Well, where, where is the, the chapter and verse in the Bible that says, spend time alone with God each day? But it, it's nowhere found in that way, but it's implied in many places. I'd like to ask a few other questions. Where does the Bible say that you should have meaningful conversations with your spouse? Yet, now we're, I'm going I'm to use the wife in this case because it happens more often that way than the other. Well, you have a wife who wants a re- deeper relationship with her husband. He wants to, she wants the heart of her husband. She wants to talk to her husband. And her husband knows that, but he says, I don't think there's a need for it. What would you think of a husband like that? You think, wake up. This is marriage. This is relationship. But there's no chapter and verse in the Bible that says you should, you need to have it just that way, and yet it's implied. Yes. Yeah, it's implied. It doesn't say have meaningful conversations, right? <laughs> we'll get to uh, we'll get to the other. Okay, thank you though. Thank you very much. I I appreciate. Uh, anytime you want to do that, let me do, uh, just call it out. What about any any commandments in the scripture? You should feed your children every day. Is there one? Okay. <laughs> but we do it. And if you wouldn't, you'd think something's wrong, but we take care of our children. And so where do you find the Bible where you need to spend time alone with God each day? Well, it's implied. It's not a direct commandment. And yet, it is. The Christian life is a relationship with God. It is not only a lifestyle, although it is that. It is not only doing certain things and not doing certain things, but it, even though it is that, it's not, that's not all it is. It's not just going to church on Sunday, the Christian life is not just going to church on Sunday and listening to the message. It's a relationship. Like any relationship, it takes time and commitment. And if I would ask this question, if I would ask, what is the minimum amount of time I can spend with my wife and still have a relationship, what, what would be wrong with that question? What is the minimum amount of time I can spend with my wife and still have a relationship? There's something wrong with that question. What if my children would only come to me once a week on Sunday morning to talk to me? 
and the rest of the week ignore me? What would I think of my children? Would, it, would I be pleased in how much they love me? So a personal walk with God is critical in growing in grace. In First Peter, in Second Peter, we have this commandment. We have a commandment here now. <laughs> it's to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So among other things, time spent with God in Bible reading and meditation and prayer is critical for the growth and promotion of life and character of a Christian. It has been said that all decay begins in the closet. People fall in private before they fall in public. And we get to know God best in the secret place in the closet. A coal miner if he gets trapped underground, can survive as long as he has an outside source of air. But if the outside source of air is blocked or the air becomes foul or unhealthy, he does not last long at all. he got to have that link to fresh air, oxygen. And I would say the private, personal Prayer life of a Christian is vital. It's the life link. In fact, without that link, when a person dies without the link, he will meet an unknown God after he dies because he's not been communing with God. Unlike Enoch, who walked with God so far that it was finally closer to go home to God than to go home to his own home. That's not biblical either, but we like to think that. What are the purposes for having personal devotions? I have two here that I'm going to teach on. But why, I would like to hear a little bit of feedback. Why would you need personal devotions? Why should you? Any thoughts on that? To get to know God. Because our hearts don't naturally know God. They naturally know ourselves, right? Well, even that. Any others? Learn to know His will for us. Yes, Brother Lyndon. Anything valuable in life takes. So if it's valuable to have God, you go after it. Yes. I read that scripture. I appreciate it. I read that scripture this morning. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, Brother John. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen. All very good. All very good. I'm just going to t- touch on two that I have this morning. And uh, one of them wasn't particularly touched on, not specifically, though it was implied, I think. But um, 
There are two I'm going to speak about. Number one is devotions. Spending time alone with God are a time to worship God. It's a time to look and gaze at the eternal God who saved you and is working out a plan for you. It's a time of worship. Number two, devotions are a time for your own spiritual benefit. It's a time of strengthening the inner man and to receive grace that is needed for that day, which was implied much more with your, with your answers. Number one, devotions are a time to worship God. I don't know if you ever thought about that when you come to your personal time alone with God. It's a time to worship, to gaze. You know, your life cannot consist of five things of equal importance, or three, or even two of equal importance. There must be one thing in your life that supersedes everything else. One thing is needful. One thing is essential. And there's finally only one thing of a personal significance. That's why the scripture is filled with these implied things. There is, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. One thing is needful, and Mary has chosen the good part. We, as people, were created to worship God. And this is a phrase taken from a um, confession of faith outside the Anabaptists, but I think it's a good one. It's that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I like to emphasize to enjoy him. When you get to your private closet with God, do you enjoy him? How did you ever have to initiate a relationship or need to go to a place, uh, maybe a visit, that you were sort of required to do but you didn't anticipate it, whatever the circumstances is? Sometimes, I know uh, probably most of you have faced it, but maybe church leaders face it a little more sometimes. But there's a, a visit you need to make that you're not looking forward to making. And you're not anticipating it. Or maybe there's a relationship that, that you know you should maintain and keep, but you don't actually enjoy it. How long do you keep on with such a relationship if you don't enjoy the relationship? And how long do you come continually to God if you don't enjoy God? If you don't come with worship, with adoration, and with joy into His presence? Enjoy Him in private devotions. Come before Him in worship. Read His Word and meditate upon Him. Commune with Him in prayer. In John 4, Verse 23 is that familiar verse where Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is seeking you and you. He is seeking you to worship him. Are you seeking him? Are you worshiping Him? Are you pursuing Him? In Hebrews eleven six, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. But he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We are called to seek God, not as an unbeliever. But as a believer, we are called to seek God. David, 
the dear psalmist of Israel was a man after the very heart of God. You can turn there, and I, maybe you want to underline this verse. Psalms 27, verse 4. David, the Old Testament saint. In Psalms 27 and verse 4, he says, One thing, remember that one thing? He said, One thing have I desired of the Lord. That one thing will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To do what? To behold or to gaze at the beauty of the Lord, and inquire at his temple. Didn't David sin horribly and publicly? He did. And you wonder, with such a heart, how could he do it? But I think it was because of such a heart that God forgave him, and God used him as an example of forgiveness, an example of repentance. I think David received the promises because of this heart that David had, that he received the many promises that he had. And so the question is, do you want to be blessed of God? This is the way. Seek after God. Not his gifts, but God. And so, in personal devotions, you get into your time alone with God and you gaze at God. You commune with God. You worship God. You, you, um, you remember what he has done for you. And remember that even though we are called to seek God, God first sought us. We love God because he first loved us. And come before his presence and gaze at him and delight in him and worship him. Turn also to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and verse 41. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Yes, you know, in the thing of private devotion, there are so many voices to distract us. Life happens at a fast pace. And there's lots of things going through our minds. And there's lots of things that need to be done. And there's many voices. And this is exactly where Martha was at. See, all this distraction here was Jesus but there were so many other things. And here's Jesus in your home. There's Jesus in your heart. And yet you're distracted with many things. So many voices clamoring. We must choose the good part. We have to make a choice. And we have to say no. And put a time aside. So that we can sit at the feet of Jesus. As the deer pants after the water brook. So my soul pants after thee, O oh my God. I didn't check, but I think that's probably David. <laughs> probably David. Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, later on, when Jesus was just about ready to be crucified, she seemed to know what was going to happen to Jesus. The disciples didn't get it. The others around Jesus didn't get it, but somehow Mary got it. I wonder why. Well, I don't wonder why. We thought why. She was close. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Another Psalm of David in 63. Let's, let's read a number of verses in 63. It's such a beautiful passage. Psalm 63. Of Psalm of David. He was in the wilderness of Judah. He was in a dry place and he was separated from what was at that point the tabernacle, the place of worship. 
O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. What do you thirst? To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. David thirsted for God. Back in World War II, there was a bomber. A bomber plane went down in the Sahara Desert. It was lost. Years later, a caravan was traveling through the desert, and they found this plane in the desert. And so they reported it, and they sent out a search team. And they found the plane, and they found the skeletons of the men who were on that plane. And they also found a man. It appeared like one man had been sent out on foot to search for help, and they found him also. And they found the man's skeleton near a diary which he kept. And on the last entry of that diary was in big letters, said, I thirst. And he died on that basis. And I remember also of a... uh, of a Christian that was persecuted in Russia under communism. He was forced to stand eight inches from a wall day and night while there were interrogators in his room. They would change shift. Every eight hours, new ter- interrogators would come in and just make him stand there. And after several torturous days of this, he said the hunger pangs, hunger pangs went away and there's an awful thirst took its place. And he stayed at that wall for two weeks while they were back there eating and drinking noisily on purpose to torture him. But he survived. He said years later, whenever he thinks about that experience, doesn't matter where he is, he just wants to go to the water fountain, to the faucet, and just drink deeply of cold water when he recalls and recollects that thirst that he had. That's an extreme thirst, but the question I have for us is, do you thirst for God? Is there a thirst, is there a desire inside of you that drives you to God? Is it your foremost desire to worship and please Him? Or, Is there an idolatry in your heart that something else is there in its place? The last verse in 1 John is, Little children, keep yourselves from idol. So, do you thirst for God? Or do you have, or do you have your devotions? You do your devotions. You know, when children come to a mealtime and they're not hungry, unless they're sick, you know that they've been snacking somewhere. They're not hungry for mom's good, wholesome, balanced, cooked food. And they're not hungry. Well, usually because they were snacking. And usually snacks are not as nutritious as mom's good meals. And so they have little desire for the real thing because they've been snacking on other things. Have you been snacking on other things? It's a good question. If there's not a desire to come before God, have you been snacking on other things? If you are a true Christian and you know you are, and yet there is little desire to seek God and meet with Him, 
Are you satisfying those appetite urges of your heart with other things? Even other good things? Or worse, let like Demas, Demas says here for Paul, when he was with Paul, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I hope there's no one here who will forsake God. But forsaking personal devotions could be a step in that direction. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. An interesting Bible version, a, a um, paraphrased version, puts that verse this way. I thought I would bring it in. Demas chasing fads went off to Thessalonica and left me here. <laughs> Just thought an interesting perspective on that verse. So devotions are a time to worship God. It is a time to look and gaze at the eternal God who saved you and is working out his plan for you. Then number two is devotions is a time for your own spiritual benefit. It's a time of strengthening the inner man and to receive grace that is needed for the day. You know, that Christian's devotional life is critical as we live in this world. In Matthew 24, we have these verses, in verses 11 to 13. It says, Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. When I was a new Christian, I thought, in my initial experience with God, I thought life is now going to be glorious. It's going to be uphill from here. I'm a Christian. I'm a child of the king. I have all these privileges. But I found very quickly that it wasn't that way. I faced battles in my life. And then I thought, well, I hear about this deeper Christian life that you can actually have some kind of experience and it'll, it'll, it'll take you to a, a, a super plane. And once you uh, do things properly and you to that super plane, then your life is going to be glorious. A deeper life experience with him. I'll just rise above the clouds and soar. Well, I'm more mature now, and I have discovered one thing. I have discovered that the Christian life is a battle. And it's going to be a battle. A spiritual battle. A war such as Christian in Pilgrim's Progress found. In this war, there are battles. And in battles, there are casualties. And I have seen some casualties in my experience as a Christian. I have seen people who have given up altogether. I have seen some who have been deceived completely. And I have seen some people who are only a shell of their former vibrant self in this battle of the spiritual life. I heard a story some years ago of a young man that entered the Marines. And the instructor, the first day, lined them up. Oh, I don't know how they line them up there, but they line them up. And then instructor told them, okay, you look to your right, look to the man to your right, look to the man to your left. Said, one of them is not going to be there by the time boot camp's over. Said, only about 50% make it. This is a tough school. And here we are this morning. And statistics will tell us that some of you won't make it. Statistically, that's true. Some of you will not endure. We face the world 
we face the flesh, and we face the devil. And it's about time that we realize that we do need to buckle on the armor of God and do battle. The whole armor of God, that we may be able to stand in the evil day. I don't know what you thought of the Christian life, whether you thought it was going to be a breeze, but it is a battle. It's a glorious battle, but it is a battle. It is a spiritual battle, but it is a battle. And there's no way we are going to persevere unless we walk daily with God. Unless the inner man is renewed day by day, like Paul said, it must be done. You must discipline yourself. It is a reality of life. Or else, somewhere along the way, someone will wonder what happened to that person. You know, the modern church, it's a far cry from the battle that Christian faced in Pilgrim's Progress, where he fought and he battled and he agonized in battles until he was finally safe in the celestial city. He understood by excruciating experience that carelessness or laxness results in failure. And he saw by continual carelessness that it actually results in death. He understood, as we may not, that eternal life does require perseverance. Now that perseverance, that resolve, is maintained by the grace of God. And that grace is received from God himself. He is our strength. He is our hope. He is our security. We have nothing without him. And all these things we can receive as we spend time with him and seek him and gaze at him and worship him. Psalms 91.1 is that familiar verse. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High is obviously more than your personal devotions. It means living in that place. But I think it includes that. So, uh, Isaiah 40, 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Who are those people? They that wait upon the Lord. John 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. battle. You know, there's a lot of things that I'm not certain of. I don't know for certainty what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. I don't know for certain what the price of oil is going to be like next week, or the price of milk, or the price of flowers. I don't know Who's going to be the next president? Or where, or when, or what the next natural disaster is going to be? I don't know that. But I know one thing. I know I'm going to face the world and the flesh and the devil. I know I'm going to face that. I'm certain of that. And there is a battle. I'm going to face it today and tomorrow. There's the world. It's deceitful pleasures and riches. It promises much, but doesn't deliver. And there's the flesh. The natural, God-given drives and desires of the mind and body that are corrupted and twisted by the fall. I'm going to face that.
And we're going to face the devil. He's here to kill and to steal and to destroy. And he will. He will. We are certain of that. But Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know, Daniel was attacked by the evil one. Well, he hadn't, he hadn't attacked when, when, um, when those princes devised or um, got the king to sign this decree that you can't pray to anyone. So what did he do in his attack? Well, and Daniel said, now when he knew the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his window being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he did aforetime. Daniel went alone with God three times a day. Do you do it once? We have Job, we have David, we have Enoch. Anyone who was and is ever used by God knew the essential nature of this walk with God. Of course, it includes all of life, but this morning I am emphasizing the personal time, daily time alone with God. So what shall we do? How shall we worship and commune with God? Now, I'm going to get practical a little bit. First of all, daily. At least once a day. You know, the Lord's model prayer, he said, give us this day our daily bread. You cannot ask for daily bread this day unless you do it daily. In fact, once a day is a minimal. David said in Psalms 55, 17, he said, evening Morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Psalms 119 and 164 and 165 says, Seven times a day do I praise thee, because of thy righteous judgments. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. So, when should you have How should you have your devotions? Daily. At least once a day. Question, when should I have daily devotions? And I would recommend early in the morning, but I realize different people's schedules are different. Many times it's best early in the morning before the busy days interruptions come and so on. And to do that, it might include needing to go to bed earlier. Or maybe possibly not going away as often. In the evening, that is. We all have 168 hours in a week. Each week holds 168 hours. And we all find time to do the things that are important to us. It will mean some sacrifice. But it is sacrificing the lesser for the greater. That's what the sacrifice is for. But it could be any other time of the day if it's more conducive to your schedule. But it should be a regular time of day. A, a, a scheduled regular pace that if it's in the morning, it should be in the morning. If it's in the, in the middle of the afternoon, it should be consistently. Because even though many waters can't quench love, our love for God does ebb and flow. We are not always on a mountaintop. You're not always going to be thirsting like like those men did out in the desert. Reality of life is it's real. So if you have a scheduled time regularly, you will not be tempted to just by, bypass it or quit if you have it regular. I, I'm not quite sure how... Um, I'm not quite sure how I actually got started on personal devotion. We did not learn it at home. I know early in my Christian life, uh, I was taught it, but I don't remember how. But it became a pattern of my life in the morning. And now I get up, usually somewhere between 1 and 3 a.m. 
and I still have my personal devotions in the morning. It has become a lifelong habit. Regularity will bring will be, be a help in helping us to continue when you might otherwise quit. Number three, what should I include in my time alone with God? Well, two things that I have. Bible reading with meditation and study and prayer. Now, I can't, we can't emphasize the word of God enough. In Psalms 119.97, it says, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation every morning in my personal devotions. No, all the day long. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. You know, I did a little bit of research. I had heard, I, I couldn't locate it, but I heard of this, this, this town, this mountain. There used to be a mountain somewhere in South Africa that is now a big hole. Deep hole. I, I think I actually think I did find it. They call it the hole or the big hole. It's about 700 feet deep, and uh, I think it covers like it said 17 hectares. How much is that? 30 acres? I don't know how big. <laughs> it was, of course. And um, what? Why? Why was there uh, used to be a mountain, and now there's a big hole? And it was all done before 1914. It's when the thing closed, so it was all done by hand. Shovel, pick. They had discovered diamonds. It was the richest diamond deposit ever found in the world. I think they got something like 6,000 pounds of diamond in a certain amount of years out of that thing. Um, so, the verse, I rejoice at thy word as, when, as one that findeth great spoil. You found the diamond mine. The word of God, it's the diamond mine, and you're going to mine it. You're going to get, you're going to, there's diamonds in there, and I'm going to get them. And that's what those men did. And they ended up with a, actually creating a big hole in that thing. To know God, we must know and understand his word. It is true about history. It's true about man. It's true about relationships and about salvation, and about the future, and about eternity. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And study to show thyself approved unto God. So what should you do in your time alone with God? Well, you should read the Bible and study and meditate. I would recommend reading through the Bible maybe once a year. If you have some Bible plans, you can do that, or you just go from the beginning to the end. Or you can take a certain book of the Bible and just read it over and over and over and get the heart and the meat and the flow and the context and the burden of the message of the author. You can use cross-references, chain references. You can do word studies or theme studies. You can use Bible helps like the concordances, Strong's Concordance or Vine's Concordance, which are both excellent ones. I use, in my computer, I use an Englishman's Concordance, which follows wherever a Greek word is translated into English, which is many times in different, different uh, words in English. But you can learn a lot of themes by, by following that Greek word in different verses. We also have a book at home, the Bible's, Nelson's Bible Maps and Charts, which, which is, is a, just simply a, each book is separate and it has a commentary on each book and what for context and who the author was and when it was. And all. You can do a lot of study and things like that. You can understand the scripture. It opens it up when you use helps like that. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I'm sure out of the audience here, there could be many other suggestions given of how you could or how you do have your 
time alone with God and how you study the Bible. I found this story about a hippie. He says here, in 1973, I was pursuing a self-centered life of pleasure and had cobbled together a religious philosophy from bits of the Bible, Hinduism, Christian science, Buddhism, New Age, and other things. One day, I was driving my car near Miami, Florida, and passed a man riding on a bicycle. For some reason, I turned the car around and pulled alongside of him and asked him where he was going. He said he was going to Mexico. I told him I was going to go a couple hundred miles north and offered to give him a ride. He agreed, so we put the bicycle in the trunk of the car and drove down the road. I broached the subject of religion and asked him if he believed in God. He said yes, and he pulled a Bible out of his pocket. And we began to discuss the serious issues of life. As it turned out, I spent four days or so with this man, traveling from Florida to Mexico and back to Florida. And I was converted to Christ at the end of that journey. The reason why I was willing to travel with him to Mexico in the first place, you know, he was only planning to go several hundred miles, but then he kept on going, is because I was impressed with his knowledge of the Bible. He was able to answer my questions and challenges with appropriate and powerful statements from Scripture, and he could take me right to the passages. I was amazed that the Bible was so practical. When I told him that I believed in reincarnation, he showed me in Hebrews 9.27, which says that men are appointed to die once and then the judgment. When I told him I was following my heart, He showed me Jeremiah 17.9, which says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. When I told him that I believed that God would accept any man as long as he is sincere in his faith, he showed me Proverbs 14.12, which says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. When I told him that I believed there are many ways to God, or many paths to God, he showed me John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and Acts 4:12. there's no name under heaven given whereby we must be saved. When I told him that I didn't believe it was possible to know the truth for certain, he showed me John 7:17, 7, and I don't have that scripture here even, but uh, probably that Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, I'm not sure. But he said at the end, I am thankful that this man was equipped to deal with me effectively. I'd like to ask each one of us, do you know your Bible? Have you studied your word both for your personal life and also for the life of others? So, just a daily and a regular time and have a time of reading the Bible and prayer. And here, number four, is to pray in private devotions. Matthew 6, 6 says, But when thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. As you pray, worship God. You know, The Lord's model prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's worship. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Gaze upon the Lord in your prayer. Adore him. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. He is our savior. He is our sanctifier and he is our protector. So worship as you pray. Then pray for your needs and the needs of others. In the Lord's Prayer, the personal nouns are plural. Give us this day. Forgive us our debts. Deliver us from temptation. Prayer is both for yourself and it's for others. You know, the weakest infant can cry when hungry. The poorest beggar can hold a hand out 
when he needs something to receive a gift. And the least in the kingdom of God can commune with God in real and vital prayer. We have no strength but his. We have not many times because we ask not. Martin Luther said, you probably heard it, I have so many things to do today, I must spend three hours alone with God in prayer. Do you have time alone with God each day, or are you too busy? Is it meaningful? Jesus was very busy. I, I, uh, it's way too much to read. But um, you just go to Mark chapter 1 and you read that chapter and that Jesus is just going and going and going and yet he has spent time alone with God. What else? Or what are some hindrances in, in private devotions? Just a few here. Um, unconfessed sin must be addressed in private devotions. If you come to your brother, I mean, you come to God and you recognize that you have a strained relationship with your brother, not only should you confess it, but you should acknowledge it and and recognize that something should be done for this. If there's been hypocrisy in your life, if you've not been real, if you've been a hypocrite, there's a better way to say it, or worse way, (laughs) you've been a hypocrite. And you come before God and you know you've been. It, it, your conscience is there. It's time to confess it to God and to deal with it. Deal with the sin of your life. It's needful. Special effort must also be taken. And preparation must be. In other words, let's, let's imagine... I'm trying to think of what context it would mean, but let's, just for lack of a better one, let's imagine that, uh, that, uh, you would, for some unknown reason, maybe you'd put your name in a, in a, put your name in a box, and your name was picked out, and you get to go and visit the President of the United States. Let's say it that way. And so, you actually get the privilege of going and talking to the president on this day. And I just wonder how you would approach him. You come in with your barn clothes, or you come in with your shirt tail out, or how would you, how would you, what would your um, attire be? What would your mental state be? Would you, oh, gee, I don't know, I've had so many other stuff to do, I wish I'd be doing something else today. You know, if you look and come before a port important person, you actually prepare yourself for it. And so, as I think of coming before God, and I don't know you can come to God the way you are. I understand that. That that's good. That's right. But as you come before God in personal time alone with Him, you want your mind. You want to be alert. You want it to be meaningful. You need to have some preparation so that when you come to God, your mind is clear enough. And your body and everything is alert enough that you can have a meaningful time. And that takes some preparation and planning. That's what I'm saying. But most of all, you will be there on a regular basis if you thirst for God. I can't imagine someone saying to a young New, new, uh, a groom. Telling a groom right after the wedding, you seen, you mean, you're gotta go spend a whole week in a cabin cooped up with her? <laughs> you don't think in those terms. Because there's a desire. There's a relationship. There's an anticipation. There's, there's that. And that is actually, when we consider our awesome God, actually, that's the anticipation of spending eternity with him in heaven. We have a work that he has for us to do. We have battles that we need to face, that we, that we will face. We don't need to. We will face battles. That we come before God 
And we, not only do we worship him, he's the most important thing of our life, but we actually need him. We cannot do without him. We must have him. And we need to go before God on a regular basis and pray. So how are your personal devotions this morning? Are they regular? Do you have them? Are they meaningful? Do you find the grace that you need? And if you don't, maybe it's a time to push a reset button. Maybe it's a time to recognize the needs of your heart that brought you to this place possibly. Or maybe it was just ignorance. I don't know. It could be many, many reasons if you're not there. But may the Lord bless us as his people to spend that time alone. And remember that time alone with him is just simply for the purpose so that we can worship, that we can live, and that we can be victorious for him. So may God bless all of you.